worship and to gather together and to be reminded about why we are here. We're here to put Christ at the center of all we do, and that's what brings us together. And so I'm so glad to be part of what's happening here today. If you are exploring your faith, I'm so glad that you're here as we dive into God's Word and as you understand and see what God has for us, or if you continue to just grow in your faith. If you're here to just uh, make sure and to, and to say, God, I, I commit myself every week when we come here to grow and to learn, that's an awesome, awesome thing. We are in the series called Passport to the Mediterranean. We are coming near the end. We've been exploring various places and cities throughout the Mediterranean. So if you didn't get a chance to go on vacation this summer, maybe Sundays have been a little bit of an opportunity to experience the Mediterranean as we've been going to different ports and different cities. And what we've been doing is we've been exploring seven different cities that the Apostle Paul, who began so many of these, uh, these churches, not all of them, in these cities, and new believers, young believers were taking root in these different cities, and Paul was writing letters to encourage them. And so as we look at this map and you see some of these different places that we visited over the past several uh, weeks, from, from Rome to Thessalonica to Philippi and Corinth, we've been to Ephesus and Galatia, we've still got, we haven't been to Philippi yet, that's actually still coming, um, and we're going to be in Colossae today. And so we're looking at these different places, and in these places, Paul, like I said, wrote letters to encourage the new believers. And I think about this, and I've been thinking about this this week, is this idea of writing letters. If you received my weekly email, I, I talked about this a little bit, but I'm just curious, how many of you have received a handwritten letter to you, not a card, not a Christmas card, not a birthday card, something like that, an actual handwritten letter that you opened up, your name was addressed to you, and it was there. You've received that in the last year. Have you received one in the last year? Okay, well, a few, a, a few of you. How many of you, it, it's been like, it's been some time since you've, since you've received a handwritten letter. How many of you have written one in the last, uh, let's say, in last year? How many of you have written a handwritten letter? All right, that's the, it's not completely a lost art, but it is an art that we're losing in this day and age, right? Because it's just so much easier to send a text, to write an email, to just communicate through social media, to pick up the phone, right? A lot of different ways that we are communicating. But I was trying to think back to uh, receiving letters. It's been a while, I think, since I've received a letter. And, and I remember, though, back in the days, back in, remember the 1900s? Remember the 1900s? Um, I was in high school in the 19, uh, I graduated in 1990, right? So I was in, the, in, in, uh, in those years. And, and I remember going actually to a summer camp and meeting a, a girl and, and striking up a friendship. And she actually went to college the next year. And then we would, we would correspond. We wrote letters. And it was something about going to the mailbox and waiting for a return letter. Anyone else remember that? Okay, I'm not alone, right? And you'd get that letter, and you'd be excited to open that letter, and there's something about pulling open the letter and, and, and uh, seeing those, you know, those, those handwritten words. There's something about the weight of the pen, the way things are written, the, the eyes are dotted with hearts, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> to see your own name written you know, by somebody that, 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 you, that you're interested in is a, is a cool thing. And Anyway, it was just cool. And then sometimes they would include, remember, like pictures that had to be taken to the store to be developed, and then, like, you didn't see them, you didn't know what they were until they came. You'd be like, send me some pictures, and they'd come in the mail. Anyway, it was a, a different day and a different time. But there was something powerful about something personal being written that, that made you feel drawn in, that made you feel included. And we see that in these letters. And in, in this day and age, we don't, we don't think about that much. I, I thought it was interesting, too, as I, I looked up some, some letters, and, and some of the neatest, coolest writing came from letters that were written during the Civil War. Some love letters from soldiers home to their family. Have you ever heard or seen some of those? Here's just an excerpt of one, a soldier writing to his wife who uh, had, a couple, they had some sons, and just a couple little lines here from, from this letter. Sarah, my love for you is deathless. 
The memories of the blissful moments I have spent with you come creeping over me, and I feel most gratified to God and to you that I have enjoyed them so long. And hard it is for me to give them up and burn to ashes the hopes of future years, when God willing, we might still have lived and loved together and seen our sons grow up to be honorable, to honorable manhood around us. I have, I know, but few and small claims upon divine providence. But something whispers to me, perhaps it is the wafted prayer of my little Edgar, that I shall return to my loved ones unharmed. If I do not, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I love you. And when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. Wow. Some of you, go, some of you are like, I have no idea what he just wrote there. That was, uh, that was crazy. <laughs> There's something beautiful about that. Actually sad about this letter is Sarah never received that letter from her husband. He didn't get a chance to mail it before he died. And uh, she received this as part of his remains. But he had written her other letters that were a little bit more positive. But the power of something like that, that letter lives on. That letter was something she could hold on to, something she could come back to. And it brought back that connection and that bond. And so as we look at these letters, we're going to be looking at the letter to the Colossians. And so when we think about this letter to the Colossians in the New Testament, we have lots of different letters that were written. And uh, this is one written to the people that lived in Colossae. And so I want to look at and give us a little bit of background to the, to the city, to the people that were receiving this letter, that would gather together and hear about this letter. And so Colossae, when we, when we go back in time, and if we wanted to explore it today, we have to look at this map here. It's in Asia Minor, and, uh, and so if you look over here, you see, um, you see Colossae over here near Laodicea and Heropolis. Those were three, um, three of the cities at that time. There's mountains all around, but there was a trade route that would run through here, and it would make its way to Ephesus. And so many of the different cities that, that Paul was writing to and places where churches were founded were along different trade routes. And so this was uh, where Colossae was. Ephesus was the main um, city. And then here's a shot. And as you look, here you see um, Colossae. And so you see the beautiful mountains and you see that, that, that city over there? That's not Colossae. <laughs> but you're looking at Colossae. But, but it's not that city, because what you're looking at is the foreground. That is Colossae. So right now, there are not a lot of tours that go to Colossae, and many people are disappointed when they show up, and then they see this sign, they see, you know, here's the city sign, Colossae, here we're going to see the city. But there's nothing left except this mound. And so as we look at this mound here, what they believe is underneath this mound is the higher point there was, uh, they think, an Acropolis, like Temple Mount. They see like an amphitheater cut out here. It's never been excavated. And so this is going to be a really cool archaeological dig at some point when they excavate this, this area. But there's not a lot to be seen right now. And so there are a couple of ruins, like if you go nearby, that they think this may have been some type of cemetery. But that's not, like, really all that exciting, right? So it's not really a place that we want to go to today. But we want to go back in time a little bit because it was a thriving city in the time when Paul was there, or he wasn't there, when he wrote the letter. And uh, and. Shortly after they received this letter, there was actually a big earthquake in, the, in about 66, 68 AD that destroyed a lot of the city. It was rebuilt again, but it didn't really last past about the late 1100s. And so since then, it's just been uh, relocated. What we saw in that picture was um, a different city where the people basically relocated and began a new, um, a new place. And so we have to go back in time to imagine the culture, to, to, to understand what was going on there so that we understand the context of the city. So like I said, it was along a trade route, and so if you see these, this kind of road, we see a lot of these throughout the, the, the Middle East, and these were often roads that led into cities. This was from a nearby city to, um, to Colossae, 
And when you entered these cities, you understood there was some wealth there. There was some economy. There, were, there was trade that was going on. And because of that trade and because of uh, what was um, being, you know, the goods that were exchanged, so were ideas and so were people from different nations. But the thing that was probably the most prevalent, um, what Col- uh, Colossae was known for, was its purple wool. We have a picture here of some, some old p- purple wool. This was actually found more around a dig in, in Jerusalem, but it's an example of the wool. And the wool, actually here, the, the name of that wool is Colossinus. Isn't that interesting? So did the city get named after the wool, or did the wool get named after the city? But it was known for that. And because it was so rare, it was almost more precious than gold at different times, so it was known for, you know, for royalty and for kings and for people of wealth. And so this was part of, of Colossae's um, environment. It was part of how they understood the world around them. They, they, they would exchange these goods from all over the world, people coming through. Now, they were part of the Roman Empire, and so as part of the Roman Empire, they had you know, Roman laws and, and the state and things that guided them and taxation. But they also had, you know, fair independence um, as, a, as a state and as a city in that region. And so as we think about now this, um, this environment of, of trade and travel, it really impacted their religious environment. And so when we see different temples or different buildings that we see here that were dedicated either to different gods or, or just, you know, as, as gateways into the city, they were, it was a place where lots of people with different ideas and worldviews and religions would come together. And of course, we know about you know, the Greek gods and the Roman gods. We've been hearing about them pretty much every week as we've been talking about different, um, different scriptures and, and looking at these different books because that was part of the entire region. Everywhere where Paul was taking this, the gospel of Jesus Christ into the, the, these different cities throughout the world, they had these kinds of influences and, and, and what we see in Colossae was not only that they had these pluralistic religions and you have your religion and, and your beliefs, but there was syncretism. And syncretism is a word where, where people would take different views and different beliefs and kind of merge them together and kind of blend and begin to make their own. And so they were beginning to take, even these new believers in the church were taking um, ideas of Christ and the church and they were blending it together with some of the, the secular uh, views, some of the pagan gods. There was an angel worship that was, that was uh, also a part of a lot of the religion in the city. And so a lot of this blending together was happening. A scholar who, who wrote a book on Colossians, he called it, the book was called The Colossian Syncretism. Dr. Clinton writes this, The Colossians tried to combine the apostles' teaching about Christ with local pagan and Jewish folk beliefs. As a result, they were blind to the liberating power of the indwelling Christ the supreme creator and Lord of all spiritual principalities and power. So here's this idea of, of Christ is just is so magnanimous, and yet they were taking and they were blinded to that and blending some of these things together. And so into this context, Paul is now writing a letter. And we, and we see throughout the, the Bible, it often talks about Paul in chains or Paul under house arrest. And here's a depiction of him that, that you know, somebody drew up, and he would often have people that were helping him whether it was a scribe, whether it was just an assistant. And, and so he was writing letters to different churches. Now, what's interesting, when it comes to Colossae in the Colossian church, Paul never visited this church. He had hoped to visit it someday. He didn't start the church. It was started by a man named Epiphras, who, who uh, was actually with Paul in Rome while he was waiting for his trial. And so Epiphras and, and some others from that area, a man named Onesimus, an, actual, uh, uh, an escaped slave from Colossae, was also with Paul. And so Epiphras and Onesimus, they were telling him all about this church. They, were talk, you know, they told him about the city and what was going on. 
And so Paul knew about what was happening there. He knew what the believers were dealing with, and so he wanted to write them a letter. And he wanted to encourage them. And, and one of the letters that he wrote, he actually wrote four letters from prison that, uh, that he sent out. We have the letter to the Ephesians, we have the letter to the Philippians, and then we actually have two letters to the Colossians. Now you might wonder, your Bible only has, it doesn't have like first and second Colossians, it only has Colossians. The second letter that was written to the area of Colossae was a letter named to uh, address to Philemon or Philemon. Have you seen that in your Bible? A small, small book, Philemon. He, Philemon was actually a member of the congregation there, of the church that gathered in, in Colossae. And Onesimus, who I just mentioned earlier as an assistant to Paul, was actually an escaped slave from Philemon. And so when we have this letter to the Colossians, there's actually another letter that came back and was sent as well. It was the letter to Philemon, who was a member of that congregation. And wouldn't you know it, Paul sent Onesimus as one of the people back to Colossae to bring this letter and to talk to those folks. So imagine what was going on, a slave who had escaped, who had left, and now going back to where his master is and the church that's there and all that he's experienced. And so in this context that Paul is now is writing, and he's going to send a letter and he wants to encourage the church. And so then we have like, you know, old manuscripts. You see like maybe it was written on papyrus, maybe it was some kind of ink, and, and this is some Greek writing. And so these letters were, were written, and then they were delivered in person, right? They weren't sent by any other way. Paul would send some messengers that, that were known and respected, and then he would bring these letters to the church. And the church would gather, and the church would read them. And often the instruction was, now, not only for you, but you pass this letter on to others. Like when we do our VBS decorations and things like that, we pass them on to other churches, right? We get to share. We get to hear more. So he would, they, they would receive letters from others. And this is, this is how um, the Bible began to form, the New Testament. These letters were instructive for how to live our life and how to understand our faith. And so Paul would write this letter, and so he sent this letter back with Onesimus and, and, and Tychicus, another man that, that was now going to bring this letter back. And so the church would gather, and now they were going to receive it. And I just happened to have, I just happened to have the letter to the Colossians right here <laughs> in this amazing fake yellow paper. Ah. And so the church would gather, and it wasn't just something where maybe they would read a, symbol, a, single, a single verse. They would want to hear, Paul wrote us. Paul, the Paul that everyone knows about, the Paul that is in prison for his faith, the Paul that is sharing the good news, Paul that, that had an encounter with Christ, he wrote us a letter. And so this morning, I want to read you the letter that Paul wrote the church. Because this is how it would happen. The church would gather together and they would hear, and they would hear either for, as the Colossians themselves or a letter that was, you know, from somewhere else that was brought to them. But this was a letter addressed to them. So are you ready to hear the letter? I want you to listen, and if you want to follow along, you're gonna have, I'll have a couple of scriptures on the, on the screen, a couple of highlighted scriptures, or if you want to read along, I'm in the New Living Translation. But there's something about the lost art of just listening and just hearing in context, not just a single verse or two, but to hear it in context, knowing what was happening, knowing the environment that was uh, there a little bit that I was able to explain to you uh, in Colossae. And so the letter begins. This letter is from Paul. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. So Timothy was with him too, and so he's sending this letter together. We are writing God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard it and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epiphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then you will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit, all the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better. So he's continuing to greet here. And he says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And so Paul just begins with this amazing greeting to let him know, like, I've heard about you, and Epiphras has talked about you, and, and man, I've heard so many good things. You're honoring God. He's changing your lives. The good news that you first heard, way to go. You embraced it, and positive things are happening. So he celebrates that with him, and now he's going to get into what is a beautiful poem, actually, like this, this, this high writing about Christ. And the word Christ, actually in this letter, if you hear about it, it was 43 different times the word Christ in just four chapters. I think Paul understands something here, that the importance of who Christ is, is is critical for this church to understand. It's critical for us to understand. So here's what he writes. He says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For him... God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So you can't miss what he just, his understanding about Christ. And just this ultimate supreme creator from the very beginning. Everything revolves in him and through him and around him. It is all about Christ. Do not mix him in. Do not just blend him in with everything around you. Christ is supreme. He's not just one among many, one among equals. No, he is God himself in visible human form. So now after saying this, he says, this includes you. Now when he talked about this reconciling of, of heaven and earth, he said, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. But get this, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. 
I mean, think about that. Before our heavenly creator, because of what Christ did, you are, you are faultless, you're blameless. I mean, this is the gospel, this is the good news, this is what Christ has done for us. But now he's saying, look, you know this, you've learned this, you've accepted this, but he goes on, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news that has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. So Paul establishes this foundation. Remember. Remember who saved you. Remember what, what, what he saved you for. And now Paul explains his work. He explains his mission. And, and just like you would say, share in a letter, here's a little bit what's, what, what I'm dealing with, or here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So Paul talks a little bit about what he's up to. He said, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know the riches and glory of Christ are for the Gentiles too. And get this, and this is the secret. You want to know the secret? Christ lives in you. That's the secret. That, that, that's the powerful, life-transforming truth. That Christ lives in you. He is supreme over all things, and yet he is resident in you. He says this gives us assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who I have never met personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want wisdom and knowledge? You have to find it in Christ. That's where it's hidden. All the treasures are there. He says, I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I'm far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. So now, this makes a difference in our lives. In so many letters, when Paul writes, he, he lays this foundation of, of who Christ is and what he's doing, and now he wants to get more and more practical as we go along. So he says, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord... You must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then you will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So, you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were, quote-unquote, circumcised. But not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and, you, and with him you were raised a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins. And because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. 
in this way. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over, the cro- on, over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or sa- Sabbaths. For these are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ. And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world? It's a good question, isn't it? Rules such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. And then he calls them to be living a new life. He calls us to live a new life. He says, since you have been raised a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share his glory. See, it's not about our life. We've died to this life, and now our life is in Christ. And when we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, we share the same glory that Christ has. And Paul is reminding them of this. So now he challenges them. He says, so put to death, and he challenges us. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wickedness. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And now he wants to say a word 
to Christian households. He gets very specific. Let's get very um, detailed in, in, in following Jesus changes the way we live. You see, in the Roman Empire, the, when the, the household, the way it was configured was in a patriarchal society, and the father ruled with an iron fist. What father said goes. The wife was, was secondary, and she had very few rights, and actually without her husband or her husband's blessing, there were not a lot of rights. She maybe took care of the home. The kids, well, if they were boys, maybe they got some extra attention, eventually be raised as, as men, but there was, a, there was a climate of harshness. There was an authoritarianism in that environment. And, of course, a lot of the homes also had slaves. And these were folks that that's what they did. They, li- they lived in these households. They served the master. They, they, they were either conquered as Rome came through and uh, expanded its empire. And that was just part of the, the culture that, that homes and families had, had these, these relationships. And so he addresses these now. And remember, Onesimus was one of those slaves that, that he's actually sending back and sharing this message. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. And never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them, serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. And now you may wonder and say, why didn't Paul condemn slavery? And where do we read that? But what we see here is already a radical shift in this idea of understanding that that masters and slaves, though they may have different positions in authority in this world, they are to be considerate and kind and treating them well. And we see scriptures throughout the Bible that talk about fair treatment, which again is, is a far cry still from advocating for freedom. But it is a huge step in the direction that said, not like the society does, not in a way of harsh treatment. And as we'll see in here, and even if we had time to get into the letter to Philemon, remember Onesimus was the slave who ran away from him? It was Paul advocating for Onesimus' freedom. And he's saying, acknowledge him as a brother in the Lord, that in the church, and as he writes here, you are equals in Christ. And that was huge, and that was radical in that space. And so Paul is saying in the household, there's a different way in which Christians interact and live with one another, not like the world does. Then he encourages them for prayer here as we near the end of the letter. He says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. He says, pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Isn't it awesome? Paul didn't matter where he was, what condition he was in. He wanted to proclaim the good news about Jesus, and he just continued to ask for prayer. However I can do that, help me, pray for me. And then he challenges us. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. 
As Paul closes his letter, we see that this was written into a very specific time and place, into, into a people that he knew and loved or had heard about, and that there was communion and there was relationship between people and believers in different churches and different places. And so just think about some of these names, or as you hear them, we're going to list them on the screen, but maybe these would be your names if letter was written today. So he says, Tychicus will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. All right, so Paul is now sending him, Tychicus, he's the messenger, he's the one he's sending to build this connection. Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. Wait, I thought he was one of the slaves that ran away. A faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings. And so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, and I was going to put this on the screen, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Just to, you know, it's my favorite verse in the Bible. <laughs> my life verse. All right, he goes on. Jesus, the one we call justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my coworkers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. He's acknowledging just their work and their presence. Then he says, Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. Remember, he was the one that probably started the church. He's sending you greetings too. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, Luke who wrote uh, the book of Acts, sends his greetings, and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea, so the neighboring church, and the Nympha, and the church that meets in her home. So she had a church that she was leading in her house. And after you've read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. Have you read that letter to the church in Laodicea? You haven't because we don't have it. <laughs> But here we read there was another. He, Paul was, there was letters that were circulating, and they would go around the churches, and so we're thankful for this letter that we have to the Colossians. And then at the end, he says, And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Now, imagine just being called out in the middle of this letter, like, right? What? Be sure to complete that ministry. Do the thing that God has called you to. He's, he's writing him that. And then Paul, even though he used scribes and others who would, because as he was getting older, they would write these, um, these letters for him, in this case, in the Colossian letter, he actually signs the letter and says, here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. And so you'll see it in your Bible, probably in all caps, to kind of offset it to, to show that actually in real writing, he, it was a, a different handwriting that would have been in that letter. And he signed it, here's my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. And then he ends the letter with this, remember my chains, may God's grace be with you. That is the letter to the Colossians. So you can say you read a whole book today. <laughs> I can't say in 25 years I've ever just read an entire book. And some of you guys think, you know, I may have been getting off easy in my sermon here. But, you know, God's word is powerful. And sometimes we only see individual scriptures and we don't understand the context. And there's something powerful about just hearing and listening and maybe sitting down for you too and reading a, a large section of scripture or reading one of these letters in its entirety. And letting it speak to you. And it just, as I step back from this, I think about Paul just writing to encourage the church. And he writes to encourage us today saying, look, it is worth it. Remember who you serve. Remember who Christ is. He isn't just one among equals. He is the one supreme God. 
And in this world that has all kinds of philosophies and ideas and theologies and where everyone has their own truth and everyone is blending a little bit of Buddha and a little bit of science and a little bit of new age and a little bit of my own beliefs and a little bit of what grandma taught me and I put it all together and this is my faith and I'm going to find a church or somebody else that believes this. He's saying, no, 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 no. You're grounded, you're rooted in Christ. Don't forget that foundation. Begin in that place. In the Church of God, who is a movement of churches out of Anderson, Indiana, with headquarters there that we're connected to, there's a phrase that, that has become a mantra for us, and it's simply this. It's Jesus is the subject. Amidst everything else, when you strip all things away, we have to begin with Jesus is the subject. It's around him that everything revolves. He is the hub. He is the center. He is the focus. He is what holds everything together. And so when we think about our faith, when we think about our lives, some of us here, maybe you're exploring faith in Christ. And you're wondering, who is that? Well, today you got to see over and over again, this is who Christ is. And he gives us a new life, and he, and, and he calls us to, to clothe ourselves with that righteousness so that we can be blameless and faultless before the Lord because of what he did for us on the cross. He paved the way for us. And in him, we have a new identity. Everyone cares about their identity these days. It's all about identity. You respect my identity, my identity, my identity. You know what, what the Bible tells us? is every one of us lays down our identity. It's not about your identity. It's about giving up your identity and finding a new identity in Christ that he imparts his identity to us. It's not about us proclaiming, here's who we are. It's about saying, here's who Christ is and who he makes me to be. And we find ourselves in him. And so when we hear that Christ is supreme over all creation, in everything, he holds us together. He is the head of the church and the body. Jesus is the subject. And so today, whether we are exploring that faith and, and growing closer to him, I pray that you would discover and that God would reveal to you who he is and that transformative power that is in him. That you can have this new life. And if we walk in him, just as the Colossian church was, was commended for their, for their faithfulness, but still, Paul reminds them, don't drift away from the truth you had. Continue to stand firm. Stay strong in that. It's so easy in our world and in our society to be pulled in directions away from Christ and to lose our focus. And maybe today this reminder for you is don't let go. Stay rooted. Stay grounded in Christ. And watch where the wisdom and truth and transformation emerges in your life. And so today I pray that you're encouraged. This letter that was written thousands of years ago. That maybe just in one hearing like this, you, you, you draw something new out of that for you. And that you would be encouraged in your walk with Christ and say, Jesus, we are all in for you and we stand for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for these letters that have been preserved and that have endured and that have become part of our scriptures. God, because they have been transformative for generations of believers from these very first believers in Colossae who heard these truths, who were living in an environment, God, that was challenging their faith and different beliefs. As they were living in this Roman Empire, as they were looking and seeing, what does this mean for my family and how I treat my spouse and my children? And even as this began to transform communities and welcoming a brother like Onesimus into the church and saying, this is a beloved brother. Father, thank you for these truths that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, God, that we find ourselves in you, and that is where our true unity comes from. And so, Father, today we lift you up as the Christ, present 
from the dawn and creation of time, God, you existed before and forever will be. You are the creator of all. We find our hope in you. And Lord, today we just affirm that and we seek you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship.